Welcome to Born to Watch, where three old mates review and discuss the movies that mean the most to them. Welcome back, fellow watchers. And today, very excited, it's got uh, myself and the number two gal in the studio with me and ringing in on a much better line this week is Morgs from Noosa. How are you, mate? Mate, bought myself a new podcasting mic on the land, did a four-hour round trip to the Big Smoke, and uh, yeah, I think you'll be able to hear me a bit better this week. Four-hour round trip, but you only have six minutes from Tawantan. Yeah. to get lost. Yeah, well, I had to get away from the kids, so uh, I, drove to, I drove to Mackay. Fair enough, fair enough. Look, today we're going to be talking about John Carpenter's 1982 suspense-filled thriller, The Thing, an amazing movie. It's absolute thriller movie making at its best. It's just nonstop, one hour and 48 minutes. There's no fucking waffle. It is just every scene is there for a reason. It is slick. It is pulse-inducing. It's John Carpenter at his best. Gal, tell us about the movie. Well, it's one of my favourites. I mean, and it has been for a long time. Uh, And I'm really looking forward to being back in the panic room to talk about this one. Go for it, mate. Tell, me, tell, tell us what it says on the back of the cover. Here we go. The VHS video synopsis. John Carpenter, director of Halloween, The Fog, and Escape from New York, continues his phenomenal string of hits with The Thing, a new version of the classic horror thriller starring Kurt Russell. It's set in the winter of 1982 at a research station in Antarctica, where a 12-man research team finds an alien being that has fallen from the sky and has remained buried under the snow for over 100,000 years. Soon... It is unfrozen and unleashed, creating havoc and terror as it changes forms and becomes one of them. Put this frightening story together with outstanding performances, incredible special effects by Roy Arbogast, makeup by Rob Botton, and special visual effects created by Master Albert Whitlock, and you've got a movie that Time Magazine describes as horrific. Yeah, I I hope it's horrific in the right sense. What do you reckon, Morgs? Yeah, I know. it's it's a strange synopsis in that they drop in some uh, some of the more technical employees on the film. That's uh, that's highly unusual, I think, not to just run off the stars, which probably says a lot about the fact that there's Kurt Russell and eleven Nuffies that star in the film. Yeah, look, it it, it is it's a really good point you make there, Morgs, because the highlight of this movie is obviously the special effects, all practical, and it's Rob Bottin, um, and he is just next level the the effects in this movie still hold up for and it's 40 years old this movie this year it was made in 82 it's 2022 did the maths all over it oh mate 1982 it is who how can that be 40 years ago what were you boys up to in 1982 not a great deal i was only a young whippersnapper i was only seven you guys are a bit older than me oh yeah mate i think i was at augusta shops probably getting a bit of double dragon on the old arcade machine. No doubt. Mate, not in 1982. 1982, you were playing Pac-Man. Probably. Yeah, Pong. That's how long ago it was. Well, Australia 2 was 82, wasn't it? 84. It was. Was it? No, 82. 83. It's 82. <laughs> 82. 82. It's 82. No, it's 82. So, you know, that's the perfect example of if you just, you just say something with a bit of, like, force and it's like, yeah, oh, fuck, it must be right. It's called quick, confident, and always wrong. And Glenn Condy is a proud exponent. Absolutely, he's done it for years. He's done it for years. 
Yeah, mate. What about you, Morgs? What were you up to in '92? Were you, mate? I was in '82. I was. Yeah, this this was my my stint down in Melbourne, and I was I was playing pretty senior field hockey in AFL at a at a junior rep level at the time. Living in Melbourne, uh, growing my first rat's tail. I, I definitely wasn't wasn't dying the hair at that stage. It was fairly red. Um, did you did yeah, you spend just, a lot of time with your cousins? I was I was definitely taking photographs with my brother in the same outfit at the uh, at the same time. So yeah, it was I, I was a pretty dorky little kid in '82, but uh, thinking that I was going to uh, represent Australia in about seven different sports, but obviously peaking at twelve, that didn't uh, didn't happen for me. Mate, just join the join the queue, mate. There's a few of us that peaked at twelve. But I cert- one thing I certainly wasn't doing was watching The Thing at the movies. This uh, this definitely passed me by. I mean, E.T. released in the same year. I think I went and saw yes. E.T. with the fam. I'm pretty sure I did. But uh, definitely wasn't sneaking into The Thing like you did with Fatal Attraction, which rocked me in the last episode of Born to Watch that you were actually able to go and sneak into Fatal Attraction as a, uh, well, I couldn't say pubescent for you because you had pubes in year three. But uh, as someone who shouldn't have been in Fatal right. Attraction, it uh, it definitely rocked me to the core that you were off seeing that by yourself. Well, I looked older than the people I was buying the tickets from, so they couldn't really argue. Uh, this is Yeah, true. look, I, I definitely didn't see this in the movies. I, I, I definitely found the thing on a, on a video shelf in DY. Uh, I would have probably been in my uh, teens and... It's one of the few movies that I have owned the VHS, the DVD, the Blu-ray, now the 4K Ultra HD version. I also have the book. It's one of these it's one of the very few where I've got the whole the whole range. I've that's I've also got that in First Blood. Also got that with Star Wars. There's not many that I can say that I've got I've I've owned every iteration of this film. I've got the original, the 1951 original, which is a great movie. Well, I never saw that, but but did I read that it's not based on the same it's it's the same novella but not the same story? Is that correct? Yes, it is. Yeah, it's a it's from a novella who goes there. Right. Look, for those that haven't seen this, it's so similar. This movie is so similar to an Agatha Christie's movie and then there were none or 10 little Indians where it's exact, it's essentially like people are dying and we are trying to find out who the killer is. It's a murder mystery wrapped in a horror suspense. It's bloody great. Yeah, great. it is a really good movie. Um, even from the start, you know, just the music coming in, it just sets that scene. You know that it's going to be a really, really tense, stressful. It doesn't fuck around. It's from from minute one. You know, you're in for something here. You see that dog running across the snow, being chased by the Norwegian helicopter. We'll talk a little bit about the stupidity of the Norwegians. You you know straight away that the Ennio Morricone uh, score is is over the top. It's it's just so somber. Low bass yeah, chords, dour, you know, really, dour, yeah. You know, primal. The sound yeah. is primal, uh, and it's just so perfect for it. And this is what John Carpenter wanted, though, too. I yeah. mean, I, I think before this, he'd written most of his scores or been involved in them, but he got Enrico Palazzo to do this. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's, I, I need to, I need Enrico. to interject there, but I, I, I also like the score, but I'm not exactly blown away by the effort that Ennio Morricone put into this one. I reckon G-Man could have written this score in Year 9 music uh, on his Casio because it, it really is not as not as difficult as the Star Wars theme that he learnt for his final year exam. Uh, it's, it's literally sounds like someone's mimicking a heartbeat and is playing one note on a synthesiser. Like, come on, Ennio, I don't know what he charged old Johnny yeah, Carpenter. It works, it, works. One, but it does work, yeah. 
Art works. I'm not saying well, it doesn't I, work. I'm it, just it's, saying it's, it's not that difficult. As I, as yeah, a, as a formal I, professional musician, I'm just casting a critical eye over this score and thinking that my mate Gao could do a better job. Look, well, look and I think that, you know, I, I don't disagree, look, but Gao's pretty talented. Well, that was the, the summer I was concentrating on my music. <laughs> yes, that you was were. Music, a summer of music. And it, uh, look, it, it certainly was, is. Uh, you know, 1987, straight to heaven. But there is an interesting tidbit about that score, which we'll get to later. We, yeah, we'll, don't we'll keep touch, that for don't later. Touch on that, touch on that. But let's talk about the, uh, the reception that the movie had. And and what what it did at the box office and maybe some reasons as to why. Well, let, let's go through that. Let's go through it. It opened at number eight at the box office this year, and it grossed. Does anyone want to guess on this? Oh, I'm going to say six and a half million. No, it grossed nineteen point six million domestically in the US and Canada, and nineteen point six worldwide for a total of thirty nine. Uh, but very underwhelming. Like, grossed three point one. Oh, I was just going to say that sounds like uh, fuck all. It does sound like fuck all. It is. It is. Um, it grossed three point one in its first weekend, which wasn't great. But it was estimated budget of fifteen million. But when we look at some of the other movies, that was again, it 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 really was low. So and it was it was released on the same day as Blade Runner. Yes. Yeah. It was released. And in the shadows of ET. I think ET came out two weeks before it. Yeah. And everyone was in love with the friendly alien, and here comes an alien that destroys people. It was never yeah. gonna. It was never gonna do very well. No. It. Um, but. You know, time time has been kind to it, though. You know, and that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, it's it wasn't well received then with with two other science fiction blockbusters coming out, but it's really you know it's really become a favourite of people's. Yeah, absolutely. So I watch this movie multiple times every year. I keep returning to it. I, I, I really enjoy it. Morgs, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, it it certainly as far as movies from that era, it sounds like it got dick kicked a bit as far as not being the friendly alien, being the uh, extremely weird alien from Antarctica yeah. with 12 dudes stationed on a, a, a remote research base. But it, it certainly, on upon viewing, and I must say that you introduced me to this, uh, Whitey, it was something that I, I'd skipped my viewing. But ever since, it, it's become something that I that I return to every year at, at least. It's just, uh, it, it, it's an amazing flick. Yeah, it's a great. And what about you, Gal? When was the first time that you saw this film? Oh, I couldn't tell you. It's a long time. Think, just think hard for me. When do you reckon? Oh, four, maybe five days ago. Oh, <laughs> okay, right. So we can't do over and under thirty for you. It's long been a favourite of mine. Yes, long. Yeah. And, and okay, so it's casting a forty-seven-year-old man's eye over this film. Daniel and I have got history with it. What are your thoughts on this movie? Well, I really liked it. As we said earlier, the pace of it's really good. It opens with that low music. You know something's going to happen. I could understand, you know, that how scary a movie that would have been at that age and, and probably still is scary to some people. I mean, obviously watching it, for me, the greatest thing was watching it and knowing something's going to happen and trying to figure out which person was going to buy buy it first. Yeah, which which person had been thinged. Yeah, yeah. which person had been thinged, thinged and how many of them were going to be thinged, thinged. throughout yeah. the movie. Yeah, and there's quite a few. Yeah. So, Gout, tell us a little bit about the cast. Well, not really an all-star cast, as we touched on, but one of our favourites here at Born to Watch. The favourite um, so far. The favourite so far, Kurt Russell. And we waxed lyrical about him last week in everything from Big Trouble in Little China, Tango and Cash, Tombstone, yeah. great movie, Escape from New York, Escape from LA. I actually think McCready is one of his most iconic roles, personally. He's so fucking cool in this movie. 
And he's a bit of a muse for John Carpenter, right? Like uh, Kurt Russell yeah, turns up time. in many many of his flicks. He likes to paint him like the pretty French girls. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess we'd say the other star is Wilford Brimley. I love, no, love Wilfred. Been in what? been in quite a few good movies. The Firm, The Natural. Mate, I, I'm, I'm, how old do we think Wilfred is in this movie? Because this is just uh, amazing, really. I kind of, you I mean, we me, know, I've already told you. This is definitely, I know in Cocoon, he was, uh, he, it was disgustingly young to be playing a geriatric, but not sure how old he is in this one. Okay, okay. So I'm 46, you're, you guys are 47, right? We aren't bad looking roosters for our age, I reckon. And, you know, I mean, I can, I can still, I can still play late twenties, early thirties. You guys, you guys are yeah. definitely about about the age of which you were born. But yeah, anyway, yeah, I'm, all, I'm, I've got a more, I've got a more, I've got a more Clooney mature characteristics about me. There's no doubt about that. Wilfred Brimley's forty seven in this movie. Whoa, <laughs> he looks seventy, <laughs> mate. He's, t- he's that's crazy. Hard he looks seventy. Yeah, I don't know what he did. He worked on the docks from about six. I reckon it's rough. And I only think he looked younger in this because he didn't have the massive moustache either. Yeah, he doesn't have his firm uh, moustache. There's no doubt about oh, that. Wow, he's still yeah, I still can't believe he's 47. Yeah, no, it's he's he's a young man playing a, a very old bloke. There's no doubt. There is no doubt. Uh, keep going. Uh, then we've got Keith David as Michael Childs, one of the great character actors. Been in heaps of great movies: Platoon, '86. Roadhouse, Mary's dad, and there's something about Mary. Oh, mate, who was he? Who was he in Roadhouse? I can't remember him in Roadhouse. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to call out Roadhouse. I don't know. Is he? Is he? Is he one of the bo- bouncers or something? I think he's one of the bouncers. Right. Yeah, yeah it must be a small part. Yeah, not, not a major it's, part in there. No, loved him in Platoon. Gravy. Everything is gravy. Everything's everything's gravy. And he, no, <laughs> it was in, in something about Mary. So oh, I was going to say something about Mary. Yeah. Wowzers. One of the great one of the, that yeah. that'll be done on board to watch. Don't worry about that one. So Give us tuned. some quotes. Give us something from uh, something about Mary Waddy. Oh yeah, how'd you get the Franks about the beans? You gotta have the beans about the Franks. <laughs> what am I looking at here? <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> yeah, he's so good. He's so good. He's trying to pull the zipper up through the sack. So funny. <laughs> we got a bleeder. <laughs> oh mate, one of the best movies of all time. Uh, keep going, Gow. Who's next? Well, then we get into a few people. I mean, Richard Masseur, someone I recognise the face but don't know much about him. He's been in Risky Business and My Girl are the only things I could find him in. You're forgetting Deadly Pursuit with Sidney Poitier, Tom Berenger, ah, yes. Kirsty Alley, Clancy Brown from Shawshank Redemption. It's a great flick. It's well worth watching. It's also known as Shoot to Kill. I actually watched it this week. Oh, no, I, I was going to say he looks a bit like Bearded Mudguts from the late 90s uh, manager at the Lake Ginnabine Hotel. Passing resemblance, definitely. Absolutely. He's probably got a few bales of hay in his front yard as well. He may or may not have also uh, invented the Masser sandal. That's just a little bit of trivia here. You can choose I to take it if you want or, or just ignore. Yeah, I hope he did. I hope he did. Who's up next, Gail? We've got TK Carter as Knowles oh. on his skates. Loves a bit of loud music. Loves Stevie Wonder. I I, I really enjoyed a big TK Carter fan. Yeah, I, I well I I really like the fact that he he had the roller skate uh, as part of his character in this because uh, as you know we I, I, I loved a bit of rollerblades back in the day. Me and Gail were into it. 
quite heavily when we were living in Canada. But I, the most I remember uh, TK from is Punky Brewster, the 80s uh, sitcom with Soleil Moon Friar uh, starring, which I remember him quite heavily from. But I, it just reminded me that I'd seen her documentary called Kid 90 very recently. Have you guys seen that? No, no, I haven't. I've heard about that. I haven't hey, watched you, it yet. You need to see that. But uh, long story short, she knows every shit bag from the 90s and captured it on, on VHS when she had a handy cam and went around filming her life. But remember that uh, Larry Clark film, Kids? Yeah, mate. Yes. Definitely. Absolutely. Sick. Yeah, uh, it, it definitely it stays that, with that you. Was that was a horrific. Talk about horrific. starred Rosario Dawson, that. It, it did, yeah. Really, really young yeah, Rosario yeah. Dawson, but uh, a whole lot of skater yeah. kids from New York. But anyway, long story short, she knows all of those kids and they end up staying with her and if you're doing something this weekend, watch that documentary. I think it's on it's on one of the streamers and uh, definitely worth a look. But she she lived watch she the quite the life and continues to. Yeah, and yeah, don't watch kids no, no, no. yet. It'll fuck you up. Don't watch kids. It's no, it's horrendous. Yeah, tough movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've got Richard Dysart yet again, a familiar face, but uh, only from LA Law is all I can remember him from. Something <laughs> LA Law or is that fucking Falcon Crest or something? I don't know. It sounded like Airwolf to me. It might have been Airwolf. Who fucking knows? Uh, and the only other one we've got in the cast here is Donald Moffat as Gary the Commander. Oh, Gary, yeah. Played the uh, he, president. He looks president. like he's he been did. in more stuff than he has. He was, I know he's in Clear Employers of Danger, but uh, he look, he's got a very familiar face. Yeah, he does. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure he's been in the back of a lot of movies. Yeah. Okay, so that's the cast. It's, it's, it's not an all-star cast by any means, but they all play their roles well. It's an interesting movie because most people just have one name. Like it's either Childs or Copper or Gary. They're not named as a name. It's only RJ McCready, is, who's Kurt Russell's character, that has more than just a surname or a first name. It's very yeah. hard to Something very hard to keep track of. Interesting fact. Yeah, it's there's so, it's such yeah, a sausage is. fest, like, and like, there's so many of them. It's super hard to keep track of everyone. Yeah, but you like Fuchs and Windows, all these other nuffies that are you know, the play sort of bit parts that are really just there to be thinged. You don't really know much about them until it's too late. But yeah, it's really it's it's Kurt Russell's film, really. He he carries the movie from start to finish. Without him, it doesn't work. Got a couple of questions to ask, just about the movie, and need to get a bit of feedback from you boys. And we're going to start with Wilfred Brimley's character Blair, right, who loses. He's the first one to really lose his shit in the movie. It actually doesn't take him long. He he does the first autopsy, and then starts dealing with the computer with the alien sort of like mother computer from Alien um, that, that seems to be very, very smart for a 1982 computer. I was playing Karatika on an Apple IIc and this thing's telling him how long it's going to take to destroy the world. You were um, playing six games and when, 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 building up your waffy. No, I wish that was, that was a bit later. That was, that was about 91. That was, that was schlaffy, schlaffy. Schlaffy. Um, when, when do we think Blair is turned? This is just a question that I could never quite answer myself. When he's been thinged. When when is I when reckon is thinged? I reckon it's when he's in McCready's shack. Oh, sorry, in the tool shed. In the tool shed. Where in the, the tool noose... shed. You reckon it happens there? Yeah, because and yep. they have. It's you got think the he, noose. Do you think he's thinged there? I think he's yes, thinged there. He, I, I love that bit. Yeah. yeah. So is yeah. he is he thinged? Is he thinged when he goes mental and 
just like destroys. Yeah, no, I don't. So is, that, is that a reason he does that, or is that no. is that because he is worried about this thing getting out, or is he trying to stop all communication? No, I think it's. I think yeah, he's what, very worried about this thing getting out, and he's he's looking at it coldly from a scientist point of view, and he's not thinged there. Yeah. But I reckon when he's in the tool shed, he's thinged as fuck. I, I love I love that bit when they go up to the tool shed and they're just looking through the little hatch, and he's going, oh, "Come on, I, I want to come out. I want to come out." <laughs> And and McCready just slowly closes the hatch on his face yeah. and just walks away. It's so yeah. fucking good. It's cold. It's man. very cold. It's cold. Okay. Well, yeah. So I, I'm about the same there. My other question is: the, the Norwegians aren't particularly bright, but is there a dumber man than the guy who goes to throw the grenade and it slips out the back of his hand and he tries to dig it out of the snow? <laughs> One of the greatest scenes you ever saw. I, I was don't watching you that. Just, just incredulous. Fucking, don't you just fucking bolt? Go run, run, run. <laughs> Like, what's he thinking? Oh, terrible. Terrible. <laughs> I, I, it was sort of, yeah, I, that scene was really funny because you just sort of watch and you go, what are you doing? Okay, and then, and then the next thing is, it's a dog. So the dog's walked up there and stopped. Can't you just walk up with the, with the gun and go, hey, guys, got a bit of a problem here with this dog. We need to kill this dog. You know what I mean? Why are you shooting at the dog when there's five people standing around? Well, he was screaming in Norwegian. But obviously couldn't communicate that. Yeah, yeah. Terrible yeah. pilot too. Like they didn't just fly down low over the dog. They were just swinging around everywhere. Mate, the grenade discipline was poor in general. Oh, like Very poor. Yeah, it, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. So anyway, just a couple of questions there. We won't even get to the big one about the end in the movie. We'll get that later. Let's move into the good, the bad, the ugly. All right, where we can uh, have a little chat about what we think is good about the movie, what we think is a little bit bad about the movie, and then what we think is ugly. Most of my stuff is good because I quite like this movie. Uh, who wants to start? I'll oh, have well. a crack. Okay, the good. Yeah, go, Morgs. You go. I, it's, I mean, a, a lot to like about this, but one of the greatest uh, scenes of all time is when the doc uses the defibrillator and uh, on, on old mate oh. and it, it just it suddenly goes through his chest and he has his arms chopped off because the guy's a thing. I mean, yes. that you just don't – even I, having yes. seen this film many times, every time I'm still very excited by this. It's just such a great, creepy, yeah. uh, you know, crawly, what-the-fuck moment that is uh, is is amazing yeah. for 1982 and, uh, oh. and, you know, harks back to Alien yeah. and some of the the, the, the chest buster, some of the amazing scenes that really do the jump scare yeah. at you. That's just but, incredible. But, it gets, but that scene gets even better when the head starts to tear off and falls to the floor. Oh, and the head just the, rolls. Becomes the head spider. Yes. And, and, the, and, then, and then Palmer turns around and is like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. And it's the head spider and he just blows him with the, uh, yeah. the flamethrower. That, I, I think every scene where someone is thinned is incredible in this movie. Well, I had that as my number one. You'd be happy to know, Morgs. That was awesome. Yeah. Having never seen that before, that was a great scene. But the other one was when it picks windows up by the head. Oh yeah, and That's then Palmer. Just... That's when Mrs. Palmer is the uh, is becomes yes, the thing. yeah, yeah. And it just just rips him apart. Great scene. Yeah, great yeah. scene. The special effects are unreal. Yeah, no, nah, it's it it's incredible. This movie's forty years old because it it, it looks as good today as it, you know as it ever has. And the other one was towards the end when Gary Gary buys it. Oh, yeah, commander, and, and he puts the hand in the yeah. face and rips the face. It looked yeah. a bit, a little bit like Total Recall to me, yeah. just ripping his face, just fully pulling away. Yeah, yeah, no, it was. Uh, Quaid. I, I, look, I'm going to start with Kurt Russell. He's the man. Like, there's no doubt that he's 
is so cool in this movie. And and I said it already today, but McCready has to be one of his most iconic film uh, film roles. He he is he's so fucking cool. He, it's it's hard not to love Kurt Russell in this movie. You just want to be Kurt Russell. He is so good, McCready. It then leads me into Rob Bottin, the the special effects master. The work that he did here, the amount of KY lube that was used to get those effects on that on those uh, on the things, it was it was gallons and gallons of it. And still today, it is some of the best special effects practical work I've, I've ever seen in a film. Like, mm. it, nothing comes close to it. How old do you reckon Rob Boutin was? Oh, he was he young, man. He was young. Early 20s? 22. Yeah. When he started like, the movie. What were you doing when you were 22? Gary? I wasn't doing that. Yeah. Morgs, what were you doing? He was drinking Molson. Well, I was Canadian. hanging out with, with G-Man in Canada. Yeah, we were playing semi-professional exactly. rugby, I believe. Yeah. And uh, I was sponsored by yeah, Kleenex. Just, I was sponsored by Kleenex, and and mate, I wasn't doing a hell of a lot. I will tell you, at twenty two, right? Um, <laughs> this guy has created one of the most iconic creature features in the history of film. The it blows me away every time I watch it. I, it blows me away. The dog kennel scene, the first time we we were introduced to it, and this is like twelve or thirteen minutes into the film, and we've got a set piece where. There's six or seven dogs in this kennel that they're being thinged. It's frightening still. Like, it is scary stuff. What about the dog that gets sprayed? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what that spray is. Oh. How yeah. good are the dog it's, actors as the well? The dogs, I don't want. the dogs are amazing. Yeah. They're, they're better than every Aussie are, child actually. actor I've ever seen on screen. <laughs> you might be right, Morgs. You might be right. You might be right. That, um, that main dog, it, it's just eerily calm. Walking through those oh, first scenes, and, and I knew there was something there, but you don't know what's going to happen, and it's just so calm. That dog doesn't move, and it just sits in in what the about, kennel. But what about the scene where where the dog's walking the hall, and then it stops and it looks into the bedroom, and there's just the shadow of whoever's in the room, and he goes yeah. in because you know he's going to thing him. Yeah, he, uh, mate, it's just so fucking so well timed. This this film is just so. Perfectly paced. Everything is just done so well. Yeah. And a little bit about that. They didn't want, John Carpenter didn't want anyone to know who the character was that got thinged. Yeah. So he used an extra. So he didn't cast a shadow. So he, nobody knew what the body was. Cool. So you couldn't tell who it was. Yeah, cool. All right. I, I got to say, the and you, you've alluded to this as well, Gab, but that the, the blood test scene, the, which is where um, Palmer gets windows in the uh, it, that that scene is incredible from the start. The, the minute they start to test the blood, like you are glued to that yeah. to the to the screen, you cannot look away. It is palpable detention. Yeah, it is. And you're just waiting. You're just waiting to well, see which gonna one be? it's going it to be. be. And and yeah, who's it going to be? It creates tension so well there, John Carpenter. Yeah, and I've, there's a and there's a, there's probably the quote of the movie from my perspective, which is in that bit. But we'll get to that a bit later from Gary when he's tied to the chair. Anything else? You got anything else in there, Morgs? For good. Oh, plenty. I liked uh, that that particular scene you're talking about, the back end of that where they uh, they tie them up and fill them full of morphine. That was one time I wished I was uh, uh, the actors in that particular scene because I think that that would be a fun time, sitting there off your guts, watching what's going on in a John Carpenter flick. And I don't, I, think, I, they think, use actual, overall, I don't think they use actual morphine, mate. Oh, mate, they're all method actors. They would have asked for the real thing, so I, and I Fair would enough. have been the same. but. Yeah. The the whole haunted house vibe, and we touched on Ennio Morricone's score. But I, what what I think is really cool, and what's a, in in the industry we call 
uh, diegetic sound, which is basically real-time sound. So there's a lot of scenes where there's no score going on whatsoever and you can only hear what the actor can hear in the scene and all it does yeah. is it just makes it really claustrophobic and you just feel like you're really yeah. part of that particular mise-en-scene and it's just, a, it's just an amazing way to really build the tension with that with each scene, which I think was incredible and done really well with this flick. This is peak John Carpenter. Yeah. He, he does not get better than this. Halloween is obviously great, but... He's just taken that and up the up the ante here, and this is this is this is as good as John Carpenter gets. It really is. Gal, going to think more for good? No, that's it for good. Yep. Oh, look, uh, look, for me, the movie itself is just good. It's it's actually great, and there's I'm really finding nitpicks to find something bad, but I'm going to give it a crack, and I'm I'm going to start. I'm going to start with the bad. What the fuck is the go with Doc's nose ring? Like, how ahead of the time can you be in '82? He's a 50-year-old man with a nose ring. Please explain, John Carpenter. What's the go? Richard Dysart didn't have a nose ring in L.A. law. Mark Hamill wouldn't have dealt with him. Thoughts? Mark Hamill. Harry Hamlin. Fucking Mark Hamill. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Harry Hamlin. (laughs) Fuck me. I didn't, to be honest, didn't even know there was a nose ring. Yeah, well, there you go. Wow. Did you know there was a nose ring, Morgs? I did, I did. I was the bull ring was what sprung to mind for me. But yes, it was very much ahead of the time, and uh, yeah, a little, a little bit out of place. But you're definitely clutching if we're talking about that. Being. But really, just how, how badly the computer has aged. Did you, did you guys have computers in 1982? Nah, I didn't get an Apple IIc till probably 88, 87. Maybe. No, it, it, it definitely was asking a lot of. The computer, the the Commodore sixty four was definitely being asked a lot to calculate the infection rate of the thing uh, if it was introduced yeah. into the wider population, like an epidemiologist, which is a word I can only say over the last month, yeah. and I've been practicing it. But uh, yeah, I think it was a bit too much to ask of the Commodore sixty four when it's used to playing karateka and and that that sequence where it shows the uh, the sequency where it's a couple of pixels blobbing towards yes. each other, but. But 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 that was that hasn't aged well. But again, I'm I'm clutching to try and find something bad. The one thing that I and now I'm looking for things to to find. But it didn't take Blair very long to to really figure out what was going on. It's 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 they find the first thing, they do the autopsy, and next thing he's saying, this is what's happening straight away. I was like, wow, that that was fucking fast. Oh, but I, yeah, I he makes some pretty like good leaps, about, doesn't he, as to yeah. what's going wrong? Yeah. But if, I think every character does. I think that everyone in this film is very smart. Like it's it's and again, I think John Carpenter brings us all along and doesn't doesn't. There's not a lot of exposition. There's not of we're not force fed. So it, it kind of respects us as audiences to have a brain oh, no, and want to figure they this don't out. Pose for fools. No, yeah, which which, which I, I fools, thought which was, is which is good. It's refreshing. It's refreshing. Which is good, but it, it also, okay. the, these guys are scientists on a research base in fucking Antarctica. So they do all have a brain okay, yep. and they're able to to make some, um, some, some conclusions fairly quickly here as to what's going on. Yes, there's some leaps of faith that you believe that they know, for instance, it's 100,000 years old. Uh, and and some pretty yeah. uh, quick, confident, and uh, and and alarmingly correct uh, assumptions that are made. But yeah, I, I think that overall, it's they're smart. And John Carpenter is saying, "Hey, you, you need to keep up if you want to know what's going on. I'm not going to stop the movie here for you to uh, to recap." Yeah, no, okay, yeah, I'm I'm well, I'm with you. I'm I'm happy with that. Okay, well, well, here's one. Seeing they're really smart guys, 
they bring that alien body back. It's this steaming mangled body. And they bring it in and Blair does the autopsy. And then they all just stand around with gloves on. That's the only thing they do is put gloves on. Yeah. Well, look in this COVID era, we know a little bit more about quarantining and stuff than they did well, back in 82. Well, let's look at it. E.T. was released two weeks before. And when they found out there was an alien, so it's around at the time. Yeah, yeah. They were in hazmat suits for a friendly alien. Yeah, they were. These guys just stand around and it's oozing stuff and they know it's spit, it's spit stuff on the dogs and they're just standing around. So anyway, that, that's one of the bad parts to me. Yeah, this is the other thing. Just on that, just burn the thing to fucking death. Charcoal it. Don't just give it a little fire and then four seconds later go in with the yeah. bloody fire yeah. extinguishers. Yeah. Just cinder it. You know, pretend it's Doug Mulray's letterbox and just burn it to the ground. Oh, I, I actually no. had that as one of the like good needed though. They needed him in there. What? what I, I thought that... They didn't um, burn it. Yeah. There's, no, there's no... The, but the, right at the end where the latest... Inca, the, the very latest incarnation of the thing where... Uh, McCready chucks one thing. stick of gelignite at it and blows it up. It was kind of, if you think about one of the MCU movies or anything that happens these days, there's like yeah. you think there's there's the false death and another false death, and it takes like five deaths for him to kill whatever the boss is at the time. Yes. It was refreshing that they kind of he threw a stick of gelignite at it, and yeah, that's enough to kill the fucking thing, which was which is good. And then it cuts to him and Keith David D to the A to the B to the R to the D at the end, talking about whether anyone's going to live or if they trust each other but it was good that it was kind of one yeah. final ending with the thing where it was uh it, it was the jellic knot was chucked at it i thought that was refreshing yeah this fire's got the temperature up all over the camp that's it it lasts for long but yeah. it's still ambiguous even it. then like his... when um yeah well you don't know who, if anyone's the thing mm. and there's heaps mm. of there's heaps of um uh conspiracy theories there where they're saying that that Kurt Russell, the the scotch that he's giving Charles, is actually petrol. It's one of the most right. cocktails, yes. and he drinks it. There's also and so that they you know he's the thing. There's also that there's actually um, like air coming from uh, or or you can see visible breath from Kurt Russell, but you can't see visible breath from um, Michael Childs. There's you know all these things that are sort of trying to elude that that one of them or the other is the thing. And and if you ask any of them, I don't think any of them know if they were supposed to be the thing. No, there's there's a lot well, of ambiguity that's the whole, thing. The whole and that's way what, through. That's what, yeah, it's great. It's great. The one thing though, so when Bennings, puffy jacket Bennings, um, is in the storage room and he's there with Windows, and he Windows comes goes away and then comes back and and Bennings is being thinged in the corner, and it's quite a mess, right? There's shit everywhere. There's blood and goo and stuff everywhere. Windows just does the runner, just runs outside. Like there's people inside. Call for help, mate. Just get someone there and kill him, like burn him. But instead, no, he gets to go. And sure, they get him outside, but it's just some odd things. The other thing, like, stop splitting up. They split up all the time. Stop, like, I know it's a horror trope. Stop splitting up. These guys know. These guys know that this thing is yeah. going to get inside them, and it's and it's trying to get them apart. And then they just yeah. continually split up. Yeah. It's just and, and sure, <laughs> massive. Look, are they, and it's look, it's I'm trying to find things, but no pun intended, but. Don't split up. It's the same in all horror movies. Just stay together. It's it's way better. I was just going to say, one of my favourite movies that subverts that recently was Get Out. 
And it's uh, it sounds like African-American people don't suffer from the same illogical uh, reasoning that white people do, where they, they, they just fall into these horror tropes every time. Like, literally, the, let's split up yeah. is just the, the worst fucking idea ever. And it was, uh, and get out is definitely something that I love that uh, it was written. I don't, it, it's, horror is not a genre that I, that I naturally uh, lean towards whenever I'm looking for something to view. But uh, that was that and the thing get out that they're, they're sort of flicks that I remember and think, I mean, get out's probably, you wouldn't, you wouldn't call traditional horror, but neither would you the thing. And they're definitely more thriller, I think with a bit of no, a horror element. So yeah, yeah it's it, it definitely yeah. two smart, smart films that subvert a lot of those horror tropes that, uh, that you really appreciate. Yeah. I'll tell you what though, it, it's a hefty cut. It's a hefty cut they do in their thumbs when they're doing the blood test. Like you're not using that thumb. That needs no. stitches, that cut. Why are you using the thumb? Yeah. Why are you not doing it off a small finger? Yeah. Like, and that's the other thing. I'm like, shit, that's got to hurt. Every time I see it, I go, fuck, that, that, that's leaving a mark. And why are they using the same scalpel when yeah. they know that this thing's a virus? Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. going to get inside them. So they yeah. all use the same one. Yeah. And there's also, so they've, like, we've just seen Bennings be destroyed by the thing and be covered in shit. But when they find McCready's jacket, who's apparently been thinged, it's clean, but it's just got some rips in it. And they're like, oh, well, he must be the thing. So anyway, it's just a couple of things. But, good. you know, it's hard to find anything bad because this movie's really freaking good. What about you, Gail? Got anything else? No, let's get on to the ugly. I've got one for the ugly. Oh, Morgs, you got anything, you got anything in the bad? Or we gonna I, couldn't, to I couldn't get anything for the ugly, no. Gee, I'm, I'm interested yeah, to Yeah, I've got nothing. I've got no ugly. I've got no ugly. What the fuck is with McCready's hat? Oh, it oh. looks like it was bought in Noosa. Mate, it looks like he got out of Morgz's garage. Mate, it, it, I'm expecting him to hop up on the bullpen and start seeing Nacho Man. Right? It is. <laughs> and he wears it sideways. I don't understand it. I mean, yeah. It's not a great hat. Apparently, yeah, Kurt didn't like it either. He said, John Carpenter said, yeah, this is your hat. And he was like, fucking what for? But yeah, it's it's definitely feels a little incongruent to the rest of the film. But uh, yeah, it's, it's I don't know, Gail. I could, I could definitely run it up here on the land. Oh, you'd kill it. You'd kill it. Yeah, it'll look, it wouldn't look out of place up there, to be honest. There's no doubt. Yeah, look, if that's the ugliest thing in the film, this just, just shows how good this movie is because I've got nothing for ugly. Yeah. I guess... I guess that really just moves us on to uh, listen to this, where we talk about the rumours, things we might have heard, uh, try to surprise each other. I'm going to start. And I was watching, uh, there's a great documentary on this movie called The Thing, Terror Takes Shape, right? And there's heaps of behind-the-scenes interviews and stuff, and it's awesome. And Kurt Russell's is talking about how, that, how, he was, uh, how he got the job of MacReady. He was just actually talking to John Carpenter about the casting of MacReady. And he hadn't been approached to play McCready and he was just giving some feedback and sort of getting some notes off Kurt. And Carpenter was sort of offering some, you know, for offering for a bit of advice. And then a month later, he, Kurt Russell gets a phone call from John Carpenter going, hey, I, you know, I was thinking about that guy about to play McCready. You should play McCready. And he goes, oh, yeah, right, oh, sweet. We'll do another movie together. So he wasn't even really slated to play McCready until well, it fell in his lap. Yeah, but there was a few other big names that didn't do it. Okay. Nick Nolte. Well, Turned down the role. Jeff yep. Bridges. Yep. Uh, and Bill Lancaster, the writer, actually wrote the script with Harrison Ford or Clint Eastwood in mind as the stars, but ended up going to Kurt Russell. Do you see anyone else being able to play McCready? No, it's hard once he's in that role, isn't it? Yeah. To, to, to not see him as being the one. Yeah. John Carpenter, the Norwegian camp scenes. Do you know about this? They actually filmed that afterwards because that was the burned out American camp. 
So they blew up the camp and then went back and filmed those scenes. Right. Because, and then just used the burnt out scenes as the Norwegian one that had already been blown up apparently. That's pretty cool. It was and filmed in, it was filmed in Canada. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was filmed in, in British, British Columbia. Columbia. Yeah. But then they, and then they went back to the studio, I think somewhere, but they had, they had the, the coolers on there. Yeah. Well, they were, it was, it was actually filmed in LA in a heat wave on a refrigerated set. So they would leave the set into a heat wave and then come back in to a refrigerated set. So it was quite yeah. shocking for their yeah. body. Tough. Um, another one about the about the score. Did you know about this? Ennio Morricone actually did the Hateful Eight, the score for the Hateful Eight. Well, you know, it's from music that was not used on this film. That's right. Yeah. But he received a Razzie. Yeah. How, for, cool, how funny is that? Yeah. He got a Razzie but, but for, what, for what, the thing. But what did he get for the Hateful Eight? Got an Oscar. Yeah. So how how funny is that? I mean, we're talking a few years apart, but wow. Yeah. Crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Really crazy. Did you find the start of the movie, the saucer, a flying saucer coming, did that remind you of Predator? It did a little yeah. bit. It's almost it's almost exactly the same shot with that flying yeah. saucer coming through and then crash landing on Earth. It's it's all it's almost like Did they show it crash landing? No, they just showed, they showed it going through, going didn't through they? the through the atmosphere and you don't see it crash landing. Yeah. Yeah. We seem to have lost Morgs, so we're just gonna we're gonna just charge on because uh, it's probably better without him, to be honest. And we've probably we've probably got any more in, in listen to this gear. No, I think that pretty much covers it. Yeah, yeah. What about quotables? You got any quotables in there? Look, I actually looked at this. There's not a lot of to me really quotable quotes throughout this movie. There's there's a couple. One being. Gary, when he's sitting on the lounge. Ah, uh, well, this is my favourite part. This is my favourite quote. Well, I'll let you go with it. Yeah, it's this. I know you gentlemen have been through a lot, but when you find the time, I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch. <laughs> it was great. Mate, it is the, it's almost the best part of the movie. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. It's so good. My favourite quote, my favourite quote. I mean, I looked at a few and there's a couple in there, but my favourite one was right at the end when he throws the, when he blows up, Blair the thing, Blair the, thing, thing. Yeah. the Blair thing, and just looks at it with the dynamite in the hand and goes, yeah, fuck you too. Yeah, that's great. It's <laughs> fucking great. There's just so many little sly ones in there. Um, You're going to have to sleep sometime, McCready. I'm a real light sleeper child. Sleeper. Yeah, I love, I love this, uh, yeah, this one here. This is McCready. I know I'm human. And if you were all these things, then you just attack me right now. So some of you are still human. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. And if it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill. And then it's one. So good. Solid quote. Yeah. Solid. Yeah. Look, there's not a heap. It's not, it's by no means, is it backdraft or is it the golden child for quotes? And we could, but you know, if that's the, if that's the, uh, if that's the worst part of the movie, then so be it. You know, that, that slides us in a needle drop. And to be honest, I, I thought there was only one song. You know, superstitious uh, by that was really Stevie it. Wonder. That was it. The rest of it was just the score, which he refused to turn down. He did. He, yeah, he pretended to. He pretended to, but he never did. So yeah, look, not a lot of music as we've talked about. There was. Uh, yeah, we covered we covered a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, they had the, the score. you know we, you've got the score in there, and that was the real the real low pulsing beat, which really set the tone for me, as I said earlier. Yeah, it's it's a you know it's it's great it's great effect in that movie. Yeah, for sure. So let's get the star of the show. Pretty easy one for me. This one. What do you reckon, Gal? Who's your uh, who's your star of the show? Oh, look, it has to be Kurt Russell. Yeah, he's just really he just really takes his role on. And I mean, it's yet again, this is a movie that's built for him. Yeah, um, he he just 
plays this role so well. And it, and it, when it turns and, and it looks like that he may be the, the plot twister there, it, it, he just really nails this role. Yeah. Kurt Russell, for me, hands down. The movie doesn't work without him. He's the, he's the star. John Carpenter's amazing. There's no doubt. He could pick John Carpenter, but the movie doesn't. The movie's not the same without Kurt Russell. Okay, final thoughts. I love this movie. It's a multiple a year watch for me. It is. It blows me away still every time I watch it. I find something new every time I watch it. Kurt Russell's the man. Craig David is, is very good. John Carpenter's direction is next level. The suspense that he builds. If you have not seen The Thing, do yourself a favour and see it. Gow just watched it this week for the first time and it still holds up. It's 40 years old this year and it is a triumph of suspense movie making. Yeah, I'll definitely watch it again. I mean, I, I'm not big on rewatching movies that much, but it, you know, as you said, there's things you're going to pick up again when I watch it, but uh, it was a really, really good paced movie and it, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Okay, so now it's time to uh, to rate this one. And for me, I've set the bar high here because I did give Top Gun Maverick five stars and that's probably jumping the gun here, but I actually went back into my IMDb and I have actually rated this movie 10 out of 10 on IMDb. So I'm going to give this five stars and I think it has earned it. Uh, I love this movie. It is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's in my top 10 movies. May not be in other people's top 10s. I don't care. This is my top 10. The thing is there. Kurt Russell, John Carpenter, I applaud you. Thank you for the thing. Gow, what's your rating? I'm not going that high. I'm going four. Four, I thought it was a really good movie. It may be that I've only seen it once. Um, definitely watch it again. But four for me. We've just spoken to Morgs. He's just dropped out. He sent through his rating for today. He's given it four and a half out of five. So I'm not going to work that one out. We'll give that one to Gow, which is 14. Divided by three. It's a toughie. It's 4.5. There we go. Throwers. 4.5 throwers for the thing. Pretty good rating. Very good rating. Yeah. Thoroughly deserved. And Where does uh, that put us? That puts us up in second behind yeah. Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. So in, in the in the echelon of uh, of Born to Watch movies, it's in number two position. Silver silver medal. And look, it's it, Top Gun Maverick is, is at top with 4.75 Gs. Morgs hasn't rated that yet because he hasn't seen it. When he does, I'm, I, I've got a feeling the thing might move into number one. It could very well do. Yeah. For now. For now. But still well ahead of backdraft. Well ahead 3.33 tricked chloride cans. This is it. And and and, and ahead of uh, the golden child at 2.5 Ajanti Jaggers. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, what are we watching, Gal? What, what have you been watching on your streaming services this week? Well, this week I've been back into the new season of Peaky Blinders. Right. Uh, season six, the final season. So I've only dropped one episode last night, but uh, it's been a while in the making getting this back on. So I'm very excited to see how this plays out. Nice. Nice. I'm actually doing a rewatch of Line of Duty. Ah, really? Started again. So I've started from the start again, and I'm loving Line of Duty on Netflix. We've been yeah. through it. We know it. Oh, it's a quality it's show. A quality show. And worth watching. If you've not watched Line of Duty, do yourself a favour. 100%. You have to watch that show if you haven't seen it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know anybody that doesn't like that show. Oh, mate. It is, again, it's British procedural at its best. Yeah. It is quality. So good. Okay. So that's another Born to Watch episode done. And I think, again, I think we're getting better every time. Um, it's a shame that we can't quite get a solid connection to the Sunshine Coast. They have internet there, don't they, Gal? I think so. Yeah. 
Morg, stop tethering off your neighbour and get your own internet uh, so that you can be a part of this because uh, it's only going one way and uh, we need you along for the ride. We're excited because next week we're going to have a special guest star in the panic room with us, our great old mate. We're not going to name who it is yet, but we are going to name the movie. And it's a Schwarzenegger absolute cracker commando. Yeah, this is going to be a great movie to do. I can't wait for this one. There are so many quotables in that. It is one of the best and most fun movies to rewatch. We're going to do Commando next week with a special guest star in the panic room with us. Hopefully we've got a proper connection to the Sunshine Coast. Looking forward to it. Please join us next week. Yeah, please join us next week for Commando. Thanks again from us in the panic room. This is Born to Watch. See ya. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Born to Watch. To join us on our journey into some of our favourite movies of all time, you can find us on all good podcast networks like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you like what you hear, give us a five-star review and share with your friends.